0: Why don't I walk you through this first chapter, first two chapters, because it's, it's history. Uh, I'd like to get to the meat of what Paul is going to talk about in Galatians. So, uh, starting with uh, Galatians 1 6 to 10, to summarize what we discussed last time, <clears throat> Paul is encountering the Judaizers in Galatia who are trying to turn the Galatians away from Christ to another gospel, as Paul puts it, to works, to circumcision. And Paul utters a curse, one of the few curses in the New Testament. Paul utters a curse on anyone who proclaims a gospel contrary to what we proclaim, he says. And then he goes on to kind of defend himself, kind of set himself up. So he talks about his earlier life in Judaism, verse 13, and how he was violently persecuting the church of God. Um, And he was far more zealous for the traditions of his ancestors, he says. But then God calls him to proclaim the good news among the Gentiles. God revealed his son to him, that's Jesus, and uh, he says, I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me. So he wants his readers to know that he has gotten this directly from Jesus. It is his own experience he did not borrow it from anyone. And therefore, he has the right, and I, I don't recall if he says it here, but he has the right to be considered an apostle, one who is sent. He seems very intent on them getting this because he says in verse 20, in what I am writing for you before God, I do not lie. Uh, so very emphatic. Uh, I did not confer with any other apostle. And then it talks about how he... Um, went throughout Syria and Cilicia and how people glorified God how the Christians early Christians glorified God um, because here's this one having persecuted them is now turning to Christ so 14 years later he went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus with him and he lays before them the gospel that he proclaims among the Gentiles to make sure he was not running or had not run in vain. And he talks about how Titus, who was with him, was not compelled to be circumcised. But because of false believers, verse 4, secretly brought in who slipped in to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. Imagine being followed to the restroom to find out. uh, If you... Have been circumcised or not? That seems to be what he's alluding to. Mm -hmm. He then talks about his uh, conversations with the leaders, and that he was uh, supported by Peter and and James and Barn uh, and they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship. So James, Peter, and James gave him that. And John. And so they agreed that Barnabas and Paul should go to the Gentiles and they should go to the circumcised. Then he talks about opposing Peter face-to-face at Antioch. And Other Jews joined him in the hypocrisy. Apparently he refused to eat with the uncircumcised and ate only with the circumcised.
1: Only when the Jews showed up.
0: Yeah. And only when the Jews, yeah. And uh, so he said to save us before them all. If you thought a Jew lived like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So he really called Peter out. And then he goes on to defend himself in this act. And I think that's where we ought to start is verse 15. So uh, Katrina... Would you read verses 18, 15 to 21? That's the whole, p- the rest of the chapter. To we 21.
1: who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, It is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law then
0: Christ died in vain. Any observations, thoughts, comments, questions? He really talks their language. Calls them Gentile sinners, which to us seems a little. That's the kind of language we don't use anymore.
1: It's an odd way in fifteen. I'm not sure. I I don't like that. We who are
0: Jews by nature, and not sinners of the. Jews. I have in my translation Jews by birth.
1: Ah, okay.
0: So I don't know what the what the Greek is there. Do you have anything different, David?
2: No, I just Jews by nature. Well,
1: that's quite a different meaning because it goes on about not justified by the works of law but by faith.
0: All right. Mm. I think he's trying to set a platform that he's going to pursue throughout Galatians that circumcision means nothing and that those who are Jews by birth and those who are Gentile sinners, because that's the term probably used by the Judaizers.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All are justified by faith, or through, by grace through faith. Mm-hmm. It doesn't... Um, he doesn't use it
2: here, but one of the things I really like, is back in Acts when they have one of the big... Um, Convention is to try and decide whether God should be allowed to uh, save Gentiles or not. Mm-hmm. Um, when Peter gets up and rather than saying, "Look, they, you know, the uh, Gentiles or Samaritans or whoever can be saved the same way we do," he flips it around and says that we as Jews. Are lucky enough that we can be saved the same way the Gentiles are. Um, That 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 it's much more simple than all this stuff that we've grown up with. Um, And I I think that that was a brilliant uh, twist.
0: And so it's all very uh, uh, kind of a yanking the chain a little bit. Uh You know, Um, who are we to think we're so privileged? Exactly. Yeah. Anything else in this passage? Pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. It's just very clear. Uh, just... Something struck me as, as Katrina was reading this. This is going to sound like heresy. I have wondered why, if there's to be a shaking in the church, should be over something really non-doctrinal like women's ordination or equality of women. Why shouldn't it be more central? Like something around Jesus. Now, there a a... I'm shaking in the church over that too with the one project. Mm. Um, which I find painfully disconcerting that that we have a problem with Jesus being
2: the center of,
0: the center of focus. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't get that. But um, nonetheless, the, the one that seems to trump everything is this, this issue that is threatening the very organizational structure of the church, in a sense. I mean, we have compliance committees because of it, I think, as a direct direct result and they decided to swoop in everything else into the basket but really it started with women's ordination and I wonder if if I were alive and a Jew Jewish Christian in Paul's day if I would wonder the same thing about circumcision except that circumcision in a sense was more central to a Jew because it was a sign of the covenant. So you remove the sign of the covenant, you're just like you're breaking the covenant.
2: Now, I may be off base on this, but the one thing that kind of came to my mind in all of this, and I think it applies in in Galatians and also in our... Part of this whole controversy that, that started back in heaven had to do with Satan accusing that God didn't know how to run things properly. Uh, But that God's way has always been to to show and say, look, this is the way I designed you. This is the way things work best. Mm -hmm. And he invites us to join him in the way that he runs his things. Satan's way of doing things has always been, he has no problem with compelling people to do things his way.
1: It's a um, power grab. It is,
2: <laughs> and it's, so it's been a it's mm-hmm. been an issue of of power and the and and the use of power. That God mm-hmm. uses His power for the benefit of others. Satan uses His power for the benefit of Himself. Um, and that here in, in in Galatians we see kind of that same struggle back and forth as to okay. How does this work out? How do we... Okay, if we have some some power or whatever, are we using this to force people to do things the way that we like it to be done? Or do we al- allow people the same freedom that God gives all of us uh, in this whole process? Um, and I, I kind of see that happening again today.
0: Well, it definitely uh, is with women's ordination, but I I never thought of putting circumcision in that basket but it works it works very well because um you're not you're not Jewish because you're not circumcised and, yeah. and you can't be part of us you don't have you're not part of the covenant and then if if you are circumcised you're a lesser Jew than I am because I'm a son of Abraham
2: and that you know and it also part of all this is this I- idea that um somehow it's my responsibility to make sure you have your doctrinal ducks in a row. Um, As opposed to, you know, it says very clearly that only the Holy Spirit can convict of sin Mm -hmm. or of truth Mm -hmm. or whatever. Now, I can... I can be a roadblock or a facilitator in that process of helping Mm -hmm. you to be able to hear the Holy Spirit or by so misrepresenting God and whatever that you don't want to even listen to anything. Um, But that ultimately, that's not my job. Uh, My job is to do whatever I can to help um, make things as easy as possible for Mm -hmm. you to hear the Holy Spirit and let him decide in what order uh, issues need to be addressed and in what way and and, mm-hmm. what, and,
0: and how. And, and uh, to even disempower us further and get us off the power model. We, there's not a thing we can do to save ourselves. Correct. The problem is they
1: really are carrying on this idea that women are truly not part of the covenant. They're not worthy. They're only through their husbands. Yes. Or or through men. Yes, they're not truly members of God's kingdom. kingdom. Yes, you're allowed in, but,
0: you know. Yeah, You're like the Gentiles. Yes. The Gentile sinners, get that? Uh (laughs) Not the Jewish sinners, but the Gentile (laughs) sinners.
1: In terms of the shaking, the way I I see it, and I don't want to butcher you know, Ellen White's illustration, but um, do you remember that lady by the name of uh, Pippet? Um, and she had that book about um, the salt has to get out of the shaker.
0: I remember the salt out of the long? shaker model. Y- I don't yes. remember the author of it.
1: Yes, yeah, I think it's Rebecca Pippet or something, something like, like that. that. <laughs> anyway... Um, this idea of you know Jesus teaching that in order to be uh, truly you know a follower of Christ, is you've got to get out of the salt shaker, you can't stay clumped together or you become ineffective. Um, and it goes with you know Jesus teaching about salt being effective, you know getting into all the food and 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 seasoning and you know helping the flavors to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, if we liken that uh, in a different way, to the Adventist Church, all right. If there's a shaker, and there's the you know the seasoning in it, the salt in it, um, if it gets shaken, uh, the stuff that's still good and viable is going to come out. The rotten stuff is going to say clumped inside. So maybe. We don't need to worry so much. Oh, we'll see that they're gone. Well, maybe God has a more freeing per- purpose for that person to do more good good in the world somewhere else. And I'm not going to sit in judgment of that. Um, but to be truly a follower, you need to be free-flowing. And if you're part of a group that's just become clumped and stuck together in its ways, you're not really...
0: You're, you've become useless. And, and I think that that is very apropo- appropriate, very apropos, I, I will say, in terms of the church right now. I mean, it's clumped in various little groups.
2: So if that's the case, then, then perhaps we should be very careful about trying to decide well, which is the, um, in, in that metaphor, well, then which, which are the ones that are actually following God? In, the ones who stayed in the shaker, or the ones that actually
0: dispersed? Um, and and you look at at the Jewish model, uh-huh. it was the one shaken out, uh-huh. persecuted out, rejected out.
1: Oh, you've gone to Babylon? Oh, good. Build houses. Plan to stay there. You know. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I think we would all probably do better to spend less time worrying about. I mean, I'm know how to say this right um, trying to, to judge where other people's relationship with God is and whether they're following what God wants them to do or not and to so probably spend more time worrying about whether I'm doing what God wants me to do um, and that through that there will certainly be concern for others um, but that the ultimate judgment of whether they're doing right or not by God is left only to God
0: so, I heard of a couple who got disillusioned with the church recently, and they left, and they they actually withdrew their membership, as I recall, and they started a Bible study group for the community around them, mm-hmm. and the last I think I heard, they had about 70 people <laughs> involved, Oh, that's wonderful, and and you you think okay, so where's the Holy Spirit now? You know, when you look at something like it's that,
1: with
0: the people who are moving. I mean, yeah. so I I agree. We we cannot judge this whole thing, and while we're talking about Gentile sinners, let's talk about Jewish sinners, so to speak, mm-hmm. because we are all sinners which Paul establishes in Romans quite nicely. Oh, he does say it here. Verse 17, But if in our effort to be justified in Christ we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I'm a transgressor. For though through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What does it mean to die to the law, so that I might live with Christ and be crucified with Christ? so that it's no longer I who live.
2: Uh, I'm not 100% sure exactly what that means. Um, I, I mean, I, my understanding of this whole process, uh, but I'm trying to figure out how to link it exactly to this, is that, you know, that it's the law that points us to the fact that we need Jesus, that I am, am mm-hmm. completely incapable of, of doing this on my own. Mm-hmm. Um... And that, but that somehow that in then accepting God's grace, then, well, that, that I, that I now linked myself to a different standard, um, that I, am not, I'm not comparing myself to the law, I'm comparing myself to Christ.
0: Okay, I think, I think you're, you're getting to where he's going, he, Paul is typically Hebrew uh, and doesn't elaborate on things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the wording is very succinct, and, and you have to break it down. I, I think if we p- added the phrase, "the died to the law as a means of salvation or as a means of justification right. or as a means to anything with Christ, right. uh, I think that's what he's talking about. For through the law I died to the law, I skipped that verse, because he realized by looking at the law that you doing it by the law just wasn't working. Right. It wasn't getting him anywhere.
2: And but and, and even worse than that, though, is the fact that when we use the law as our end-all, be-all, it's too easy to be able to start working in loopholes and workarounds and... And what all
0: we pick and choose what we want to okay what is naturally our bent
2: and so yeah and so if I'm if it's real easy for me that you know I I don't I'm not tempted to rob banks or whatever then Mm -hmm. uh, then I assume well then that's what's most important to God Uh, and so (laughs) I'm really good that I don't rob banks now the fact that I may you know gossip and talk. Uh, bad, badly about my neighbors and other people or whatever behind their backs and you know other things that would be whatever but then I well that's but that's not nearly as important as the fact that I haven't killed anybody um, and so then I assume i, I in my mind I just order things as the things that I'm stronger at are the things that's most important to God and the things that I haven't well he'll just kinda of wink at that. That's not as, as as big of a deal. Um but that you know, we kind of forget that, you know, the the law came as a way of God trying to trying to help the children of Israel and the world as a whole to have get some kind of glimpse as to who he is and how he works, and so this was just kind of some. If you really think about it, the law is really like the the bare minimum requirements for the uh, healthy human interactions. I mean, basically, don't kill each other, don't steal their stuff, don't lie about them, uh, take care of each other. You know. The, this is just, some, it's not that high of a bar, and yet we still can't really get over it. But nonetheless, that, um, so, you know, Moses comes back to the children of Israel and says, okay, you know, God wants us to be like him, and God is love. And they're kind of like, well, what does that mean? Uh, and so this is like, okay, well, here's some examples of what love looks like. But it's really just kind of a shadow of, of who God is. It's just sort of the outline. Um, mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. it wasn't until Jesus came that you actually got to see, oh, so that's what this was a shadow of. It's like, yes.
0: Um,
2: and that that's how he's the fulfillment of the law. is right. because he's really the, what this was all based off of. And so and it, we really need to kind of pull things back and say, okay, actually the law isn't the end-all be-all. It's Christ. That he's the standard, not these rules. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and and it's he, but but it isn't just that he's the standard; he's the one who empowers us. It, and, and the empowerment comes through that intimate connection with his love, uh, right. that intimate response. And and I'll, I'll tell you how this works in my life. Uh, I was thinking of this as as we re- as I read it. I grew up in a very legalistic background yeah uh, the 1960s was a very legalistic time in the Adventist Church and I grew up in the, in a region in Oregon that was probably the most legalistic of the legalistic at that time except for maybe, maybe
2: Southwest Michigan
0: yeah or or maybe uh, Uchi Pines and some other places maybe Oregon. I shouldn't mention names I grew up at Wood Academy which was a conference owned school and it was an Adventist community. Everybody around us were Adventists. What we didn't know is that there was a pedophile ring in the, of Adventist men <gasps> in, in the community. I never knew this until, um, until a few years ago, one of my childhood chums came out and said, my father was a pedophile. Huh? And he was the part of this ring, and she opened a whole can of worms, and I was like, in shock. It's just utter shock, because my mother let me walk from the time I was about six all over the place, and I could ride my bike. Exactly Once right. I got to ride my bike, I could ride my bike uh, all over the place, um, because she didn't have a clue.
1: I wasn't um, even allowed to play in the backyard. unless yeah,
0: You're a different generation than I. Anyway... So I was, I was raised, but I was raised in this very legalistic environment, and legalism always masks the rotten and the terrible that's going on. <gasps> it's like the Witch's Black Sabbath in, in Hawthorne. Are you familiar with Hawthorne's literature? Yeah, you know what, Hawthorne. Hawthorne was an American author, and he wrote in the, what, the 1800s? And he wrote about the Puritan community, which was a very legalistic community and how they had their Witches' Black Sabbaths. <laughs> I think the name of the work I'm thinking of is John Goodman Brown. Mm-hmm. And, and John Goodman Brown was kind of an outcast in this community. He didn't buy that whole charade of legalism, masking, just really awful things going on. So that's, that, in a way, that was the kind of community I grew up in. And when I was converted, all that changed. Christ became the center, I began to understand the law in its proper perspective. But even now, especially as I'm getting older, it's easy to get flashbacks into that old legalistic past. And I have to start saying, now wait a minute, why am I concerned about this in this way? Like, I've always been fairly careful how I keep Sabbath." But for the right reasons after I met Christ. Sometimes I start worrying about, okay, I better not do that. I better not do that. And I find myself slipping. And then I think, why am I doing this? Well, it's because I've been so busy, so caught up in everything, that my relationship with God, my relationship with Jesus, has begun to get strained. And what I need to do is go back to the relationship to Jesus and get mended rather than trying to oh I got to do that I can't do that and I've got to do that so I think that is maybe what it means to die to the law and live to Christ and to be crucified with Christ now what does that metaphor mean
2: me, a, a big part of that is just simply of every day having to stop and say, okay, well, we'll who, whose plan and whose uh, desires and, and what all is most important here? Am I going to go about the day uh, with my plan of the way I want things to be and then say, okay, God, I want, there's a, a pastor I, li- I enjoy listening to who talks about um, that we tend to use Jesus as a condiment. That you know, life is better with Jesus. You know, we have our plans and we sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on the top to make things better. Um, kind of thing, as opposed to actually that Jesus is the is the is the deal. I mean, it's it's his plan. It's his you know the way of doing things. Um, and I don't say that to mean that that I don't think that God tries to micromanage and that He has all this plan to exactly how he wants us to to basically turn us back into robots or you know whatever that we don't have any choice in the matter but that but still is is it my way of doing things or his way of doing things of of again coming back to okay any power or authority I have am I using this am I Mm -hmm. leveraging it for Mm -hmm. my own benefit or am I mm-hmm. leveraging it for the benefit of the people around
0: me? Um, Isn't it possible that power is, is still the base here? Uh, oh, I, because we use the law, we keep the law, we control the law, and we control start controlling other people with the law, and, and it becomes this terrible net of power. Yeah, and
2: I, one thing I, I remember reading in the, in the back that I just think is just so profound that... Um, when it talks about, you know, we have this thing saying about how that power corrupts. Mm -hmm. Um, And anyway, the point of this was that power doesn't corrupt anything. Power simply reveals what was already there. Mm. Um, And that, you know, the fact that I don't do this or that or the other thing, is it because I truly uh, don't want to or because I know that I can't or that I, I couldn't do it without getting caught? And uh
0: before I didn't have the power, but now I do but,
2: but if but if now suddenly you do have the power to do this, uh and that there was you know no one who could do anything about it, you know, what would you do?
0: Yeah, so in a larger sense, perhaps, being crucified with Christ is letting the will and the passions and the self-interest to die. When we see how loving and Christ and I want to say Christ-like Jesus is, but that isn't <laughs> appropriate. <laughs> right. But but how just how selfless he is. So I I find this something on the on a daily level that I have to deal with, and. Uh, I don't always get to do what I want to do in a day. But that's part of living the Christ-like life. And what helps me to do that motivationally is to actually listen to music, like Embrace the Cross and um, Broken and Spilled Out by Steve Green.
1: Mm-hmm. For me, also, the cross represents um, living according to principle, uh, not by my feelings, but by mm-hmm. the principles, doing what's right, even when uh, I'm surrounded by people who would mock me for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Jesus suffered the cross is shameful, as humiliation. Right. Being... Not worrying that there's people mocking me because of me mm-hmm. wanting to make those right choices mm-hmm. and follow Christ and live according to the principles and teachings in His Word.
2: Oh. Right. And that's made me think that you know, that there's always a price to be paid for doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And that that typically is a price that is you can see what it is and it's paid up front Um, and that part of sin and what makes it uh, appealing is that Satan comes and says well there's another way of doing this where you can skip that payment we can still get to the same end but you don't have to pay that price Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and but that what you don't find out is that there is a price to be paid it's just on the back end after it's too late you don't have a choice at that point Mm-hmm. And typically that price is higher than the price of doing the right thing up front. But you think you can somehow sneak by then take the easy way. Uh, but the Christ didn't. Uh, he, he chose to he took, pay the ultimate price right. um, knowing that that's what was happening going in and whether or not we are willing to do that on even a smaller scale on a day-to-day basis. Yeah.
0: anything else here? So the life Paul now lives. He lives in... the I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How does faith change this picture?
2: Well, and I think the key to that has to do with the fact that recognizing that it was that it was God who, who loves me. And so that's mm-hmm. why I'm willing to put my trust and, and faith into him because of the way he's shown.
0: That and if I'm trusting him, I'm letting him have the wheel. Mm-hmm. And I'm not fighting for it. Fighting for it is trying to take the law and do it in my own strength and my own way. My own way. But taking, letting Christ have the wheel. We're in a journey together. And I can do better what he wants me to do with him at the wheel. But I can't do that unless I trust him. And, and really, anything of the law is a substitute for trust. I don't know if you saw the article by, <laughs> I can't think of his name, all well, of a sudden. His last name's Johnson, Bill Johnson, in Spectrum. Online is it recent: It's recent. Um, he talked about the evangelicals, the right wing evangelicals, the Adventists, and the current situation, and he pointed out that the reason oh, and Donald Trump and the reason he says that the event, the right-wing evangelicals voted and supported Donald Trump is because they were afraid. Of Hillary Clinton. And they really believed that if Hillary Clinton was, became president, that the morals of America would completely go downhill and there would be no, no stopping place. There would be no recall, no, no back to order.
2: Past the point of no return.
0: Past, yeah. And that's, that fear is, is the opposite of trust. That fear is why we can take the wheel and we want to legislate everything and make people get in line. And uh, so Bill Johnson went back to Philip Yancey's book in the 1990s that he wrote, in which he suggested that the that at that time you had the moral majority and the religious right. He suggested that the evangelicals who were part of that had gone to ungrace instead of grace. So that's, a, that's an example in a, in a larger scale and something that impacts all of us in America because it is our human tendency that when we lose our faith in God and we become frightened of what's happening instead of being willing to pick up the cross and follow him, uh, we adopt a, a political agenda and move out in the world to try to control our
2: world. Um, historically, when the church has lost the power of the Holy Spirit, it's turned to the power of politics to try to achieve the same mm-hmm.
1: end. Internally and externally.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes, within the church, outside yeah. the church and it's usually historically been the case that the church reaches out the hand to the pol- to the political scene and tries to control it rather than right. the political scene trying, trying to, control to control the church yep. and maybe that's why they're having success because the First Amendment says that the state shall not prescribe, but it doesn't say the church shall not control the state
2: right and and the fact of the matter is you know that each and every person you know who is in power in politics or whatever it has their own worldview their own morals and principles and whatever that they filter everything through and so whether you're a christian or a buddhist or whatever i mean that is going to be filtered through that and there's no way of separating that out at some point though it, it does run the risk of then suddenly becoming a, a state mandated religion mm-hmm. or whatever if
0: mm-hmm. well, i think we're i think we're headed that way unless miraculous changes come. But they will be short-lived if they do. I think the trajectory is pretty solid.
1: I don't know how they're going to stop all those shoot-ups. It's so terrible. These young men, I think it goes back to this entitled young people mentality, generational mentality.
0: I, somebody linked this last one, one in El Paso, I believe to someone who was really part of them more than, um, I can't think of the general term, the neo Nazi, the no, white supremacists, reasons. the white supremacists, that he was really engaged in that.
2: Yeah. On the other hand, the one that uh, was uh, back in Ohio was a devoted Elizabeth Warren follower. And So, you know, how much are you going to really subscribe saying, you know,
1: it's about basic values and attitude right. towards life. Yeah. I have the right to take away other people's
0: lives because I'm angry. Because it's, it's in a basic word. attitude, regardless of the ideology. It's. I'm not familiar with Elizabeth Warren. I know I, I, the name is is familiar, but I'm not familiar. I, I've forgotten what she stood for. I I knew it one time, but.
2: Uh, well, she's a pretty liberal Democratic. she, she, run she for she, president? She's running for president.
0: Mm. Oh, she is. Oh. Yeah
2: she she's the one who claimed to be of Cherokee background and that got her into uh, uh the teaching position in Harvard and whatever under the equal opportunity whatever and it turns out she's not uh, oh, no. anyway but
0: uh well the the two ends the two extremes drive right. each other right that the liberals the the extreme liberals uh make the the extreme Um, conservatives react and want to control and the extreme conservatives make the liberals frightened and want to control in their way and then you get the same result same actions and that's why Jesus calls us to a completely different order of life Uh, an order of loving your enemies So there's a lot more we could say, but our time is up. So why don't we have prayer and be about further business. Dear God, we look at what Paul has written here and we recognize how much we need you, how much we need Jesus to fill our lives with his love, to help us to see what his love really means and then the willingness to pick up his cross or to pick up our cross which is similar to his and to follow him. We ask that you will help us to do this, that you will help us to make the right choices regardless of the cost and that we will let the principles of Jesus' life be our guide. We thank you for this in his name. Amen. Amen.